Yeah, uh, making it part of the culture has to be um, one of the strategies. You know, if we organize a group of people and they just go outside once, um, you know, it's it doesn't have a long term impact. But one of the fundamental things that the report found was that getting kids outdoors and back into nature makes them smarter, happier, and healthier. That was very successful. We saw a decrease in morbidity and mortality, a decrease in length of stay, and we were seeing people go home that normally uh, may not have had that opportunity to go home from the ICU. Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsbury, Executive Director of WGA. This episode continues our series about reimagining the rural West, the chair's initiative of North Dakota Governor and WGA Chair Doug Burgum. Each episode of this series will focus on different aspects of the initiative, examining challenges and opportunities in rural economic development, infrastructure, and quality of life in the rural West. Today, WGA Policy Advisor Laura Cutlip is exploring how rural communities can improve their access to quality health care. Adequate physical and mental health care are integral parts of any functioning community. The remote nature of rural areas, however, can sometimes limit residents' access to these crucial resources. Jorge Guzman, founder and executive director of Viva Northwest, explains how this obstacle can be overcome and even leveraged to help improve rural health across the region. Viva Northwest, uh, again, was founded back in uh, April of 2016. And the whole idea behind Viva Northwest was to engage a community that perhaps has not been part of the outdoor industry, the conversations, and uh, and really engage them and get them to participate and be part of this whole conversation. Um, but beyond just uh, using the outdoors for recreational purposes, there are other benefits like the health benefits. And as we know, uh, unfortunately, the, the Latinx community and the African-American community suffer the most, the, the higher uh, levels of cholesterol, chronic disease, and I felt that there are a lot of programs out there that do, um, um, you know, reactive services once people are already sick, but not a lot of um, preventative. So I felt that the outdoors and just being out in nature could be uh, a way to kind of reduce some of those levels of cholesterol or chronic disease. Uh, I also happened to live in Japan for about a year. And the Japanese culture is really uh, tuned to the health and nature aspect of things. So that's where I really got inspired. But I also had a personal experience where I was going through a depression and just being outdoors, hiking, surfing was really uh, something that really helped me. And I felt that more people could benefit from it um, if they had the opportunity to be outside. Preventative health measures, such as those offered by Viva Northwest, not only benefit rural community members, they help take the strain off healthcare providers as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it has to be private investment. It also has to be investment from government agencies. At the end of the day, if we can reduce uh, the number of people that go to emergency care, um, you know, I think it's going to benefit everybody. One, the families and individuals that wait until the last minute to go see a doctor. Um, and we know that we want to avoid people getting to that level of sickness or illness because then at that point it's almost too late. Uh, there are fortunately a lot of medicines and a lot of um, different um, ways that we can help somebody that's already with that type of 
illness or sickness, but if we can start doing a lot of preventative work, and, and we envision that a lot of the preventative work can be through the outdoors, one, the family will benefit from that, being living a healthy lifestyle, but also the system and the healthcare system would also benefit. So we see that, uh, we see a need for private investment and government agencies to really invest in this type of initiative, um, again, for preventative purposes. Bringing Viva Northwest's concept of preventative measures into the mainstream can take a lot of long-term planning. Guzman outlined some of the strategies his company has used so far. Yeah, uh, making it part of the culture has to be um, one of the strategies. You know, if we organize a group of people and they just go outside once, um, you know, it's it doesn't have a long-term impact. So making sure that uh, it becomes part of of their DNA, um, it's. It, it's to everybody's benefit. And the way we've been able to do that, it's to add a lot of stewardship to the work we do. So we, yes, we go out hiking, we do stand-up paddle trips, we do uh, snowshoeing trips to increase uh, diversity in tourism, which is part of the economic development initiative that we have. But, um, but stewardship is also a big thing So within our organization. So how do we get uh, this community to think about uh, helping us protect the environment, uh, environmental conservation efforts. So we've done tree planting, trail restoration work, uh, part of the research that we've done. And what we've seen is that when people put that level of investment of time into planting a tree, they become part of that uh, of that forest or that park. Uh, so, you know, it does take a little bit more effort in in encouraging a, a, a community that has not been part of the other conversation to invest their time and volunteer their time because volunteerism is also not part of the culture yet. That doesn't mean that they don't want to participate, we just not have been able to approach them the way they need to be approached. Um, so once we get them to engage at that level, I think it'll be a long-term uh, commitment and a relationship they'll have with the outdoors. Much like Guzman, Andrew Black, the Public Lands Field Director for the National Wildlife Federation, also sees great value in outdoor recreation. Um, and so, you know, we did a report last year focusing on what are the benefits of getting kids outdoors and getting kids back into nature. And one of the fundamental conclusions of the report, and it taught, you know, it got into the depth of, you know, uh, cognitive function of kids and motor skills and those kind of things. But one of the fundamental things that the report found was that getting kids outdoors and back into nature makes them smarter, happier, and healthier. Much of Black's philosophy about the interplay between mental health and the outdoors comes from his own personal experience. You know, whether it's getting kids outdoors and making sure that they're smarter, happier, and healthier, or I, as a fly fishing guide, I work with a lot of veterans, right? And especially veterans from rural communities and, and, and disabled veterans. And so I'll take these veterans out on camping and fly fishing trips and, and you know, all over New Mexico and Southern Colorado in particular. And it is just awesome to see after a few casts and standing in the river how, you know, a lot of these men and women, you know, will open up and, and you know, have, have gone through the wages of war and, and kind of bear both physical and emotional scars from that. And, and here you see them starting to smile, have fun, really kind of open up on, on kind of that deeper emotional, mental and spiritual Absolutely. level. And, and it's been awesome to see how our public lands become a gateway for health for them, mm -hmm. but also a gateway to find community with one another and to also connect to VA services and find the help sometimes that they need. In order to determine other strategies rural communities are using to access physical and mental health services, we sat down with Krista Stadler, 
the Senior Director of Telehealth Services at St. Luke's Health System. So St. Luke's Health System is a community-owned uh, health system located in southwestern Idaho. Uh, our service area is about 975,000 people, and we anticipate significant growth over the next 10 years, the majority of that being age 65 or over. In terms of virtual care and telehealth, that all started back in about 2012-2013 with a CMS innovation grant. Uh, that allowed us to start the tele-ICU program, which really serves to take a um, critical need in, uh, in terms of intensivists, which there aren't a lot of, and spread that across multiple hospitals that we serve. That was very successful. We saw a decrease in morbidity and mortality, a decrease in length of stay, and we were seeing people go home that normally uh, may not have had that opportunity to go home from the ICU. That um, really opened St. Luke's eyes to the opportunities for how to use technology-enabled care to treat and serve patients in a different way. Many rural residents, especially those with chronic illnesses, can have great difficulty getting to a doctor's office because of the extensive travel required. Stadler explains St. Luke's solution to this problem. Remote patient management is really designed to help those with chronic illness stay healthy and in their homes. Uh, we deploy a kit that includes an iPad, Bluetooth peripheral devices like a pulse oximeter, a scale, a blood pressure cuff to the patient's home. And every day they do a health session. It takes about two to three minutes in which they take their vital signs and then they ask a series of questions. Those questions help to determine, are they having some subjective issues um, or anything that we need to uh, address through branching tree logic. All of that information comes back to a nurse who's sitting in the virtual care center and they're able to triage those patients and reach out to them via secure text messages, secure video, or via the traditional phone, depending on the patient's preference. That program has had a significant impact. We've decreased our ED utilization in that population by 58%. Uh, our inpatient admissions for that population has been decreased by over 70%. And when those patients are admitted, because unfortunately with chronic illness, there are things that you have to go to the hospital for, um, their length of stay has dropped by 80%. So really seeking to keep people healthier um, and in their homes, which is where they wanna be. Stadler explains that telehealth services provide not only physical health benefits, but mental health benefits as well. Yeah, telehealth is a great modality for recruitment and retention in rural communities. Um, let's take an example of psychiatry. Psychiatry is desperately needed in the state of Idaho. I think we're 49th in, um, ranked 49th in suicides. Um, and mental health is significant, especially when it comes to physical health. They're intertwined in my mind. So in a rural community, you may need a psychiatrist. There's two things there. One, if there's only one psychiatrist in town and he has an office and you drive the red suburban in town and you have to go to his office, there's a stigma still, unfortunately, that's assigned to that. So oftentimes we see patients who avoid those visits because of the stigma, uh, especially in smaller communities because people know who you are and where you're at. Um, and then there's the other side of things, which is the physician side. Oftentimes we see providers who really want to live in rural communities for the quality of life and the sense of community it brings, which is fantastic. However, to staff somebody 24-7, 365, you need four to five psychiatrists in that community. That's unrealistic. Uh, we have a national shortage of psychiatrists. 
So telemedicine is one way that we can start to supplement that by recruiting psychiatrists or other specialists like that to these rural communities and letting them know that, hey, you know what, you're going to work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and then from 5 till 9 a.m. in the morning and weekends and holidays, telemedicine providers will support you. That's a tremendous asset um, to make sure that these providers don't burn out. Physician burnout is real, and this is one mechanism in which we can help um, negate some of that. Stadler notes that telehealth is not without its difficulties. She outlines how she would like to see those challenges addressed. So the first problem I see is that the acceptance of it. I don't think that's high because we haven't really flooded these environments with the opportunity. Um, I know that in two communities that we serve, the taxpayers have actually said, we want telemedicine. And so it's up to us to deliver that. The barriers to delivering telemedicine um, are, are vast. Now, in the past 12 to 18 months, we've seen a lot of federal legislation and, and state legislation throughout the West that have really started to remove some of those barriers, but we still have a long ways to go. Things like administrative code um, often don't follow policy or association guidelines often make it even more complex. So we really need to align um, as a community and as healthcare leaders and business leaders to say what is it and how can we remove some of these barriers. The most common barriers that you will hear people talk about or that have been published are licensure, credentialing, reimbursement is a big one, um, and then also geography. And that goes along with some of the reimbursement Today, um, at the federal level for Medicaid, there is a restriction that you can only be reimbursed for services in rural communities um, and not in metropolitan areas. Now, Boise, I originally came from Phoenix, Boise in my mind, even though it's not a rural community, still feels very rural. In order for St. Luke's to make an investment and be able to support that investment and sustain it long term, We've got to be able to offer that to all patients, regardless of where they live, whether it's in a rural community or two miles from a hospital. Because patients have needs, and just because they live in a metro area doesn't mean that they have the ability to get, a, get in a car, to drive, to pay bus fare, or any of those things. So one of the real things that I would love to see if I had a magic wand would be that geographic restrictions would be lifted off of any policy that's out there. Because I think that would do a lot for our rural communities in healthcare institutions really making the investment in telemedicine and spreading it across the West. According to Stadler, building networks is a cornerstone for effective community development. The key, I think, to reimagining the West in terms of healthcare is unique partnerships. That is key. Oftentimes in our industries, whether it's healthcare or tourism or, you know, even food, we silo ourselves and we think, oh, we're going to get innovative. So we partner with another healthcare institution or down the road or a grocer partners with another grocer. We're going to have to get really creative and start to form unique partnerships where telemedicine and uh, food pantries or waste management companies, all these different entities come together to figure out, hey, you know what, we can do this. We can bring a physician or a nurse anywhere with us by utilizing different types of resources and making sure that there's value add for both ends of the spectrum. Um, I think that is going to be key to making sure that we can reimagine the West. And, and we have so many unique assets in all of those communities. It's not about tearing them down and rebuilding them. It's about coordinating them in a different way. As our guests today have explained, rural areas are at the forefront of a wide variety of innovative healthcare solutions. From preventative measures to remote forms of care, 
there's no shortage of ways for communities to reinvent themselves and provide a better quality of life for the residents in the process. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented by the Western Governors Association. To learn more about Governor Burgum's Reimagining the Rural West initiative, please visit westgov.org initiatives. And be sure to join us next time as we discuss how the next generation of rural voices is helping to shape communities in the West. Finally, WGA would like to thank Jorge, Andrew, and Krista for sharing their innovative recommendations for keeping the West healthy. So long, everyone.